Insightful Podcasts by Informative Hosts. Insights into Things, a podcast network. Welcome to Insights into Entertainment, a podcast series taking a deeper look into entertainment and media. Your hosts, Joseph and Michelle Whalen, a husband and wife team of pop culture fanatics, are exploring all things from music and movies to television and fandom. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Insights into Entertainment, episode 152 gaming's best and bleakest of 2023 that's right if i'm hosting that means it's an episode about gaming uh, i am your host sam whalen and the guy that i just keep dragging into the river of gaming news my co-host joseph whalen how's it going hey you know and if you're hosting as well it means we're going to get into some negative stuff at the end of the show too that's right that's, that's our mo <laughs> yeah uh we're going to start off positive though uh so today we're doing like i said another gaming episode we're going to talk about the game awards uh, the nominations are out. The actual ceremonies are on December the 7th, so right around the corner. Uh, but yeah, we're going to cover some of the uh, nominations, and then we're going to get into some bummer stuff. Because um, while it has been one of the best years for gaming, uh, it has been one of the worst years for gaming industry layoffs. Uh, so we're going to get into uh, some of the hardest hit uh, companies from that, uh, and who should be held accountable for these layoffs, and if there's a way to prevent them. Uh, but before we get into that, we have to plug... Uh, all of our subscriptions, or we need you to subscribe. Uh, that's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcast. Is Stitcher still around? Last time I did this, I think they are gone now. Yeah. Well, if you're still on Stitcher, find a way to subscribe to us. We'd appreciate it. <laughs> iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Amazon, and Pandora. Everyone loves Pandora. Yeah. Shout out Pandora. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. Uh, of course, you can always contact us as well if you have any questions, comments, or concerns. You can email us at comments at insightsintothings.com. We are on X at insights underscore, or sorry, at insights underscore things. I got it. Yeah, it was limited in what I, my <laughs> options were. Okay. They were maybe already taken. Uh, Facebook, you can search insights into things. Instagram, insights into things. Anywhere, just search it. It'll come up. And of course, all these links can be found on our website, www.insightsintothings.com. Let's get right into it. All right. All right. So we're going to talk about the Game Award nominations. And I know what you're thinking. Do you want to start with some smaller stuff? No. We're going to start with the big one because that's what everybody's here for. All right. <laughs> we're going to start with. Are we planning on talking about anything other than the big one? <laughs> yeah. I got a, We got a couple other things oh, in there. Okay. There's one. Uh, there's one other smaller category that I want to talk about just because there's controversy. And who doesn't love controversy? <laughs> but yeah, we're going to talk about the Game of the Year nominations. We've got six nominations for you. Um, so let's take a look at them. And we've got them up on your screen for your viewing pleasure. <laughs> we've got the uh, first one up is we're going to go from right to left, I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's in a different order than the script. Sorry. <laughs> uh, we've got Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. This is, of course, published by Nintendo and EPD. What's that? I don't, I don't know. Hmm. Nintendo. Yeah. Oh, Nintendo EP. I guess it's like a subdivision. Entertainment something something. Sure. Uh, yeah. So 
Tears of the Kingdom has been highly praised for its improvements over Breath of the Wild, offering an expanded world and features that encourage exploration. Maybe, maybe it should be EGP. For what? Epic Games Publishing. Well, Epic Games doesn't publish Breath of the Wild. Oh, I'm looking at Alan Wake. I'm sorry. We'll get to that in a second. <laughs> Jump ahead. <laughs> I wonder. I, now I got to know what Nintendo EPD stands for. Someone sent us an email. <laughs> Chat, if you're listening, tell us what Nintendo EPD stands for. Uh, anyway. It's a blended traditional Zelda elements with innovative mechanics, makes it stand out in the series. Uh, everybody loves Zelda, right? I mean, we're going to get, it's always going to get nominated. Breath of the Wild receives similar praise, uh, but you were actually, we were talking off air before the show. Uh, you said you're not really in on Nintendo anymore like you used to be. I'm not. Uh, I haven't been a Nintendo person for oh, probably 15 years now. Nintendo to me was just always a little too kid like and and that's exactly what they go for so it's yeah it's not a knock against them that's for sure yeah i mean there there are games like Zelda and Mario that i think while they are they look kind of kiddy uh i do think they they can appeal to everybody um and i wasn't a big breath of the wild fan i uh i don't even think i finished it and i haven't finished cures of the kingdom yet either uh, but I'm enjoying it much more than I enjoyed Breath of the Wild. Um, I just think it's it's pretty incredible. I mean, you know, it's it's one of those games where they just drop you into the world and they give you a set of tools and they just say go. Yeah, I mean, they do a fantastic job in their games. It's just it doesn't appeal to me. There's a, an audience that it appeals to, and and for that they love it. Yeah, and again, Nintendo getting a lot of love. Two nominations from Nintendo uh, this year. Uh, but yeah, I mean, what is there to say? It's Zelda. If you like Breath of the Wild, you're going to like Tears of the Kingdom. Uh, a lot of people, it is their um, front runner for winning this. A lot of people think it's going to go to uh, Tears of the Kingdom. Uh, I don't personally. Uh, there's one. Neither do I. Yeah. You'll see where our biases lie <laughs> uh, coming up shortly. But yeah, that's Tears of the Kingdom. Uh, moving on to nomination number two, we've got Marvel Spider-Man 2. Uh, this is published by Insomniac Games. Insomniac, probably my second favorite PlayStation acquired studio behind um Sony Santa Monica who of course did God of War the new God of War games um Insomniac yes. just incredible banger after banger games Ratchet and Clank Spider-Man 1 others that I'm not remembering <laughs> there was an oh uh, I think they did Sunset Overdrive which was before they got bought by PlayStation Sunset Overdrive great game you should all check it out uh but yeah Marvel Spider-Man 2 stands out for its dual character gameplay innovative combat and traversal mechanics and an expansive narrative that enriches the Spider-Man universe. Uh, I'm probably about three quarters of the way through this. I've been trying to take my time with it because I do love these games. And uh, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to gorge myself on it. I like to take my time when it comes to these things. Um, but I didn't finish it for the show. So what are you going to do? But you haven't started at all, right? But you played the first one. I, I haven't started it yet. What are your thoughts on it so far? How similar is it to the first? Uh, what's the storyline look like? I, obviously, the graphics and everything are fantastic. Oh, yeah. It looks even better somehow because now we're fully with the power of the PS5. Oh, well, we didn't show it, but it was the power of the PS5. Um, it looks incredible. It is more Spider-Man, though. I mean, a lot like what we said with Tears of the Kingdom. It's, it's more of the same. Um, but for me, that's a good thing. I love Spider-Man, the, you know, the, the initial one, the first one for PS4. Uh, I loved Miles Morales. Did you play that spinoff? I did, yes. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's more of that. 
Um, but they find ways to innovate on it and make it more fun. There's new traversal mechanics. You've got the web wings. Um, there's a lot more. You feel faster. There's there's like these big. Um, Having the PS5 helps with that. Uh, yeah. The one thing, and I, I don't know if I told you about this um, as I was playing it, but the fast travel is like incredible. So the fast travel, you zoom out to the world map, you click a point and it's instant. Like it just zooms into the map and you're just there. Yeah. It's, I don't know how they do it. Like it's, it's remarkable to see in action. And um, yeah, they've added more, because tr- the map is larger as well. So they've added a couple more boroughs in New York, like Queens and stuff and uh, more suburban areas. I forget the name of it because I'm not from New York, but <laughs> more, uh, more suburban areas. But uh, so what can you tell us about the story without giving away any spoilers? Yeah. Uh, I mean, if you've seen any of the trailers, you know we're dealing with the symbiote. We're dealing with Venom. Uh, and honestly, you can probably guess where the story's going to go because it's the same usually every time <laughs> when Spider-Man deals with, you know, if you've seen the Sam Raimi movies, it's uh, it's a similar story. And honestly, so far, nothing has really surprised me uh, with the story. I've pretty much been able to guess every beat. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? Um, because, these, you know, you still love these characters. You've got... Um, uh, Peter Parker and Miles Morales now, which is really, really neat. Uh, being able to switch between those two at will. And the really cool thing is like in story missions, when you're switching between them on, on the fly, it's scripted in missions, but it's still really incredible to see it happen. It reminds me of, um, Grand Theft Auto five doing the same thing, switching in, right. the, uh, in, in game. But yeah, I mean, the, it's the story. There really isn't anything to spoil, honestly, not yet anyway. I mean, I'm sure some stuff will happen cause I haven't finished it yet. But if you've seen a Spider-Man symbiote suit story, it's pretty similar. So is this your pick? No. No, our, my pick is your pick. Okay. Uh, which we'll get to shortly. Uh, but that is Spider-Man 2. Now, this next one, I have probably the least amount of information on. Uh, personal experience as well. It's Alan Wake 2, uh, published by Remedy Entertainment uh, and Epic Games as well. Funny thing about this, the uh, it's there's no digital or uh, physical versions. It's all digital. So, fun fact. Uh, I think it's just a sign of the times. Yeah. Well, especially with it being published by Epic. They want everyone to go through their their storefront. Um, but yeah, Island Wake 2 is noted for its shift towards a more intense survival horror, which you can see in the footage we're showing. It's very scary. Uh, combined with its intriguing narrative and innovative gameplay mechanics. So yeah, again, off air, we were talking about this, and I mentioned how they work in real footage, and I'm curious if we'll see it in these trailers. But the use of um, the blending of real footage and gameplay is really, really neat. And uh, I would play it, but I'm a coward and I don't want to get scared. So. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you don't have to play the first Alan Wake to know what's going on. It helps. And this game uh, is also part of like the Remedy universe. Uh, Remedy also published a game called Control, which I think was up for game of the year two, three years ago, something like that. Okay. But um, it's it's like a connected universe now. So they're bringing the stuff from Control in, they're bringing the stuff from the first Alan Wake in, and they're bringing in some stuff from Max Payne, kind of. Wow, really? Well, yeah, because like they say that that's not part of the Remedy verse because they didn't like necessarily own it at the time. Like I think they published one and two, but then three was through Rockstar, I think. Um, but there's a character in Alan Wake two who is. So you can follow this logic here. He's voiced by the voice actor for Max Payne. I forget the guy's name, but the mocap is Sam Lake, the uh, head of Remedy. He's like the figurehead. Sam Lake did the mocap for Max Payne 1 and 2. So when you think of what Max Payne looks like, he looks like Sam Lake, but he's voiced by a different guy. In Alan Wake 2, it's Sam Lake, 
but it's not his voice. Okay. <laughs> it's really weird. Uh, but that sums up Alan Wake too. It's a weird game. It looks very artsy. I probably will play it one day. Um, it from what I've heard, it's incredible. It's it's really doing a lot for the uh, the genre. You know, not the genre, the um, the medium, right. pushing things forward and doing all kinds of stuff uh, that hasn't really ever been seen before. And that's exactly what Remedy's best at. Uh, do you have any interest in Alan Wake too? Not really. Never. Haven't played anything in the series yet. I'm not into the 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 scare type things. I don't like the dark type games. Yeah. Um, I like the, the types of games that I can sit down get immersed in, play through a story when I have the time. Um, and I get obsessed with games like that. Yeah. The other thing that I'll, I'll play is, you know, if I, if I just have 15, 20 minutes and I just want some mindless distraction, it's, you know, fire up the Xbox, play a shooter, play a sports game, something like that. Yeah. That's, that's the thing with Alan Wake too. And with control as well. You you do get immersed. You kind of have to get immersed because there's so much going on, um, and that's another reason I haven't played it yet. Because I, like, if it's gonna be scary and I have to pay attention, it's like I just can't do it. Because yeah. like, scary. I'll be honest, folks. When I play a scary game, volumes all the way down, lights are on. I'm usually watching something else. Like I'm not like listening, right? Because it's the audio that gets me. I can probably do yeah. with the visuals, um, but I'm gonna have to pay attention to Alan Wake, and I'm gonna be terrified the whole time. So. <laughs> Uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, I don't know if it's nominated for other stuff. It probably is. Um, uh, I don't, I, th- I don't think it's going to win. I, I think it's probably towards the bottom tier for what people are guessing is going to win. Right. Um, but now we move on to our totally biased pick. Uh, <laughs> next up is Baldur's Gate 3, published by Larian Studios. Uh, the game has received critical acclaim for its gameplay narrative and production quality. It's already won multiple awards, recently cleaned up at the Golden Joystick Awards. Um, it's deep integration of D&D mechanics, it's Dungeons and Dragons for you normies out there, combined with a rich narrative and flexible gameplay, which is probably my favorite part about it, makes it a standout in the role-playing game genre. It's revolutionary, right? I mean, absolutely. I've never played, well, that's not true. I have played something like it, uh, and it was the last game published by Larian Studios, (laughs) um, (laughs) Divinity 2 Original Sin, which I was trying to get everybody to play, but, you know, it, it was a little, um... It wasn't as accessible as Baldur's Gate 3. And, you know, this game has taken everybody by storm. Everybody's talking about it. You have like 500 hours in it. (laughs) Yeah, I have an unhealthy amount of time into this game for some reason. Um, It it really is a remarkable, remarkable game. It, it, to me, it's a, it's a genre defining game. Yep. And like, you know, you look at the images of it and the the, the playthrough is great. The graphics are, are wonderful. You know, if you're okay with turn-based combat, it's a, it's a great thing. But it captures the mechanics of a tabletop D&D game, which is very difficult to do. And the, the variance of the game, I've done two full playthroughs now. And I have five short starts through Act 3. And I've yet to have the same thing happen twice in any story uh, section. Wow. It's it's amazing that the game itself <laughs> is that adaptive and your choices matter. A lot of game systems tell you your choices matter, right? Well, normally it matters as to what your next cutscene is. Mm-hmm. This is something, and, and Larian's known for this, where your choices don't matter, but your choices have consequences. Yep. And you may make a choice in Act 1 that 30 hours later in Act 3 comes back and has a completely different effect on how the game goes 
how people treat you, how the story goes. To sit down and to even con- uh, come up with a mind map of how these different storylines go blows my mind. I don't know how they did it. Like, people are afraid of AI taking over the world. Whatever this game engine uses to come up with its story is more dangerous, I think, and more intelligent than any AI out there. Yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. There's really not much else to say. It's incredible. Uh, And in that description we read off, I think the flexible gameplay is really my favorite aspect of it. It feels like D&D. You know, I love Dungeons & Dragons, and this is as close as you can get. And in some ways, I think it's better than actually playing D&D because I think it it onboards everything so much simpler, right? At least on console, you know, your your actions and everything you can do. When I'm playing D&D in real life and I've got even using the app or and pen and paper, you you kind of forget a lot of stuff you can do yeah. because there's so much information, but I think what Baldur's Gate 3 does so well is is streamline that and make it so you really are considering everything you can do even if it's just like shoving somebody off a cliff, which yeah. is like, you know, you can end a boss fight by doing that if you pass the check. And it, yeah. it's like D&D in that regard where a DM could spend three hours planning a boss encounter and you walk up and you pass the first persuasion check and the fight's over. You don't even have yep. to fight the guy. I know that feeling. <laughs> but like, I just, I don't know how to describe it. I I think it's a game that everyone can play. Like, it is a little bit complicated and there it's a little bit it's definitely, you can tell it was meant for PC first. Sure. Um, but I think they did a great job making it for console too. Like, I think it still, it still works. Well, and that's the one thing that's worth mentioning on, on PC is it was built for PC. And in fact, you have a completely different interface yep. on PC, but if you fire up a game controller on the PC, it changes that game interface. So it looks just like the console. So it's completely, that's another thing that the fact that they went through and made two completely separate interfaces for how you were going to interact with the game, just that level of forethought Mm -hmm. was extraordinary. Yeah. Um, And, and I have to say, you know, you and I both play D and D we both uh, DM from time to time. This has changed the way that I play D and D. Yep. It's educated me on, on different character class information, all that stuff. But the fact that it shows you, you know, you could sit down at a, at a tabletop and roll dice and throw a fireball at somebody and, and it, it kind of just rolls off your tongue and you move on to the next thing. You don't know what it looks like. Mm-hmm. And in here, not only do they visualize what spell casting in combat looks like, they show it in different ways for different classes, you know. And even, you know, if you go with a bard, the bard can cast, you know, any number of spells, but depending on the instrument that the bard is using, the visualization looks different and it's custom to the instrument, which is just incredible. Yeah. It adds so much ambiance and so much, so much life to the game. That's why I think this one should win. If, oh, yeah. Even if it doesn't. Yeah, spoilers, folks. I think, Bald- I don't think it's going to, it's, uh, it's nominated for eight things, first of all. I do not think it's going to sweep. Um, I think it will get most of them. Uh, but like it's up for like multiplayer game. I don't think it's going to win that. Um, and the multiplayer aspect is terrible. It's not great. <clears throat> uh, it, I like that it's in there and I, I want to do a playthrough with my friends whenever they get it. Well, um, the, the the multiplayer. All right. So multiplayer in as much as multiple players, four people can be <laughs> yeah, in the game. Yeah, there are multiple players, but they're all playing their own story, essentially. And yeah. you can interact with their story to a certain amount. The There's no instancing that happens here, right? So 
You don't have a shared experience. You go off and you have dialogue on your own that's relevant to your character, and you can share that with other people, but they can't participate in it. Right. It's not an MMO. It's a kind of a cooperative play through that you do most of the time, mm -hmm. right? It, it's not even all the time. So it's not really a good multiplayer game. It's a great single-player game that has some multiplayer capability. Yeah, I think the one thing that does shine in the multiplayer is the combat. Um, I think because we played it very briefly, and that's the only experience I've had with the multiplayer was the what hour that we probably played. Right. Um, so, you know, I can't speak to it fully, but the combat in multiplayer is great because the combat is normally turn-based and it still is in multiplayer, but it syncs up whoever the real players are. So if you and I were playing, our turns would happen simultaneously, but everything else is still turn-based. Yeah. So you can sync up abilities. There is a lot of potential there. We just didn't play enough of it to find out. <laughs> well, and the one thing I will say that was, was great in multiplayer is as you play through your character's turn, you end your turn. In single player, if you end your turn prematurely, it's over. Yep. In multiplayer, if you end your turn, you have to confirm that you're ending it. That safety feature needs to be worked into the single player. It is. It is now? You can, yeah, I, okay. I turned it on because I kept actually ending my turn. You can toggle it so you have to hold triangle to end okay. your turn. Okay, at launch, that wasn't oh, there. Oh, really? Yeah. Because I would end my turn accidentally all the time. Yeah. And I was like, there's got to be a setting for all this. All right, I have to go turn that yeah, all in the game now. It's much better because I've, it's, there's been so many times where I've done it accidentally and like haven't even done an action. And then, you know, I get beat up because I, I didn't do anything. Right. The um, one thing I didn't like about the multiplayer though is as you go th play through the game, you pick up companions. Oh, yeah. Well, the rule is whoever talks to the companion gets them. And I can't hand that companion off to you so you can go do something else while I go do something else. Especially when cutscenes can be triggered just by Just by walking. proximity. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's a little weird. But everything else is great. Yeah. Um, I think I just get unlucky when it comes to these things. And I usually have technical bugs when other people don't. I have had some bugs with it. Um, but considering everything that's going on, it's like, it's like a miracle. It, it's like it's from a, like a, like on high, it was sent down and it, it runs yeah. and it works. And if you think you can do something, you probably can. It, you feel so free. And I've never really played another game like that where there, there really are no, I mean, there are constraints, right? In terms of like, you can't like clip through a wall or something. Right. But like, I've never played another game where I, I go into a, a situation and I, and I feel like I could handle it in almost infinite ways it's a game that is <clears throat> sophisticated well beyond its years yeah like i wouldn't expect something with this level of intelligence to come out for five to six years yep uh we could probably do a whole episode on it but yeah. we do have some other nominations yeah, to talk about we got two more to go through let's get rid of the rest of these so next up is resident evil 4 published by capcom uh, this game is awesome. I played this game. I never played the original Resident Evil, uh, so I was able to play this. This game rocks. <laughs> like, I don't know how else to describe it. It's like if you played through an action movie, uh, like an 80s action movie. And it is scary. There were some parts where the volume had to go down and the lights had to come on. <laughs> but overall, you have like a million guns, so you feel like you're in control. It's less of you're running from the monster, more like you're running to the monster to shoot it. <laughs> uh, some highlights... This remake of the classic game has been praised for its impressive graphics, audio, and revamped gameplay mechanics uh, while retaining the core mechanics of the original and introducing new features and expanded content. Um, yeah, like I said, I never played the original, so I can't really speak to that. But 
I've played this game and finished it, and I absolutely loved it. Uh, I'm glad it got a nomination. Um, I know some people are maybe a little bit perturbed by that because it's a remake. But if you play the game, it really is a remake. It, it, it is different from the original and from what I've seen. It is its own game. Uh, and it, it stands on its own. I, I really think it does. And I highly recommend it if you're, you know, if you like action games, because it is more of an action game than it is a survival horror game. Uh, and if you like 80s movies, because it feels like that. <laughs> there you go. Have you played any uh, Resident Evil? Uh, I played Resident Evil a long time ago on, on like a PS2 when it first came out, or if, if it goes back that far. Um, again, I, I'm not, I don't like dark games. Yeah. So that's Resident Evil. <laughs> right. It's not one that I've ever really jumped on. Yeah. Um, in terms of where I think it ranks, in terms of potential to win, I think it's probably towards the top. Uh, but I just, after talking about Baldur's Gate, I just, I don't see how anything could beat that. Um, we've got a little guest in the studio, a little lantern fly just flew in. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, Resident Evil 4. And our final one here is Super Mario Wonder, published as well by Nintendo. Uh, I own this game, but I don't, I have yet to play it because I'm lending it to my girlfriend. But it looks cool. <laughs> it looks cool. The sacrifices we must make. I know. Uh, highlights. This game is celebrated for its control mechanics, animation, expressive characters, innovative level design, and dynamic audio. Is it? All right. <laughs> dynamic audio. I never. I mean, I guess. Uh, it features new power-ups and a fresh visual design that breaks from the traditional Mario aesthetic. And that's really... So many people for years were asking for this 2D Mario... These 2D Mario games to get a visual upgrade. Uh, not upgrade, but a, a visual change. And that's what we got in this game. I mean, this doesn't look like other Mario games, which is, I think, a big reason why it's uh, such a standout. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Um, I just, uh, Game of the Year, I don't know. This was a surprise for me, but I think it's because it's Mario and it's Nintendo, and I think there's just a level of um, industry uh, praise that comes with that. Well, and and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, with <clears throat> this looks suspiciously like a standard Mario platformer. Well, yeah. Um, with the really nice graphics. It does look very pretty. Uh, they added a bunch of new power-ups and stuff. Uh, from what I've heard that pe uh, from people that have played it, um, it's not as... Uh, it didn't break the mold as much as people wanted it to. Uh, I think a lot of people were just hungry for a, um, you know, just, just full send it, you know, just do something different. Oh, he's on me now. I, now, I flicked him. Now he's knocked out somewhere. <laughs> uh, sorry about that. Um, but yeah, I, I think it wasn't quite the uh, uh, property shakeup people were looking for. Um, well, I I think it's funny that you there was criticism leveled at uh, Resident Evil for being a remake. How is this not a remake? Well, it's not a remake. I mean, all the levels are unique. You'll probably still get the Mario One One world that has every in every Mario game, but all the levels are new, all the content is new. It just, I mean that trailer did not really do it justice. I don't think <laughs> um, it didn't impress me. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Uh, so it, yeah, if there was one that I would I could be okay cutting from these nominations, it would probably be this. But again, I haven't played it. Maybe when I play it, I'll change my mind. But fair enough. Uh, yeah. So those are your game of the award game of the year nominations. Uh, tell us what you think should win. In the comments down below, uh, I think our vote is soundly Baldur's Gate. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, th that uh, we have some other quick things I want to round up here in this section because we've gone kind of long. Uh, it has been a banner year for gaming. Uh, a couple nominations I or games I would like to highlight that didn't make uh, Game of the Year nominations: uh, Sea of Stars, 
Highly recommend that if you like RPGs, uh, that pixel style. Uh, that game is incredible. It's it's fantastic. Uh, Final Fantasy 16, Armored Core 6. These are all nominated in other categories, uh, not just not game of the year. Um, uh, Starfield. Remember Starfield, everybody? <laughs> I have heard rumors of Starfield. <laughs> it's bad. I don't like it. I'll say it. I heard it's got a really good engine for building starship yeah i haven't done any of that that's what everyone seems to, to love about the game yeah it's uh i don't know i think it's since it's come out it was praised pretty highly on release but i think as people have been able to sit with it i think it's somewhere in the middle of the pack um which is a disappointment especially if you're an xbox fan because that was that was supposed to be their game winner that was supposed to be their game winner and it's nominated for one category and it's probably not gonna win what's that for biggest game of the year rpg i think <laughs> is what it's up for uh, but Baldur's Gate's in that category, so it's not going to win. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so Jeff Keighley, uh, the guy that runs it, he's like the brains behind the operation. He said that even though, you know, it's a great year for gaming, we did have to limit it to six. Uh, let's see. Do we want to cover these other categories or are we short on time? Uh, you can run through them real quick. So we got best – these are some that I just wanted to highlight. Best performance, we have uh, Ben Starr for Final Fantasy sixteen, Cameron Monaghan for Jedi Survivor. Have you played that yet? Uh, no. Yeah, he does a good job. It's fine. I didn't. I didn't really like the first ones. Oh, that's right. You didn't. We've no. talked about that before. Uh, Idris Elba for Cyberpunk: Phantom Liberty, which what was that? An add-on for yeah, Cyberpunk? Yes, really. But it's also like a remake, kind of, because with Phantom Liberty came the Cyberpunk 2.0 update, which like changed the whole game and made it what it should have been at launch, mm. which is impressive and deserves a claim, but. Not that steaming pile of crap that we got at launch. <laughs> I love Cyberpunk since day one. I, you know, I, just, I love driving around a city and seeing random piles of trash just fall from the sky. <laughs> it was such a just delightful thing. I've been a Cyberpunk diehard supporter since day one. Not a CD Projekt Red supporter because they lied a lot. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. People are saying it's back. Uh, and it's kind of wild that Idris Elba is in the game. <laughs> that is kind of well. That's the thing. If you have a if you have a terrible release for a game. Sign a celebrity to the to the next version of the yeah. game. Uh, I own this DLC, but I have yet to play it uh, because I was when I was playing Cyberpunk. I'm playing through it to experience the 2.0 stuff, which is very impressive, and I highly recommend going back to it if you want. You can drive around the city. And is it another 15 terabytes of a download? <laughs> Probably <laughs> it took three days to download it. Uh, I'm going to butcher this woman's name, but Melanie LeBird. Sure, that looks good. From Alan Wake Two, she plays. I think her name's Saga in it. She's the other main character that isn't Alan Wake. Uh, Neil Newbon, who is Asterion, right? In right, Baldur's Asterion. Gate 3. People love that guy. Uh, he didn't survive in my playthrough very long. He didn't survive in mine either. <laughs> so, but I know he's captured the internet's, um... Turns out a stake through the heart really does kill <laughs> a vampire. <laughs> yeah, I, I pretty much instantly killed him. Uh, I think he's one of the front runners. And then my boy, Yuri Lowenthal for Marvel Spider-Man 2. He is the best, and I hope he wins. But All right. That's who I'm. That's who I'm pulling for. I love Yuri. He kind of does the same voice all the time, but man, is it good! <laughs> um, so He's yeah. like the Nicolas Cage of voiceover. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we'll see who wins that. Uh, really quickly, best independent game. Uh, I just wanted to cover this because this is where the controversy is. Uh, defined as for outstanding creative and technical achievement in a game made outside the traditional publisher system. Remember that it's going to be important. Uh, so we've got Cocoon. Haven't played it. Want to Viewfinder is really, really interesting. Um, the concept of that game is, are you able to pull footage really quick for it if you can, maybe? I can try. Because you got to see it. Uh, it's You have a camera, and when you take uh, photos, you can then go into the photo, and it changes 
the um, layout of the level. And it's it's tough to describe, but once you see it, it will like blow your mind. Um, so yeah, we're, we're pulling up a trailer real quick. I played the demo for this. I haven't played the full game, but it is, um, it's really, really remarkable. And again, it's one of those games where you wonder how it even runs. Uh, so yeah, here, check this out. So he just takes the picture. For, and then, our, for our viewing audience. Oh, that's right. Sorry, audio <laughs> listeners. Look up a trailer of Viewfinder. It's very cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I don't know. This is, I think this is one of the reasons why indie, the indie category is this so This looks like important. something that should be in my Oculus Quest. Yeah. Like, it's incredible how this, like, works. And like I said, it's hard to describe for audio listeners, but go check it out. Um, and th- I think the demo is still available. Uh, and you'll pretty much get the gist of it. But yeah, it's one of those games where it's like, how is this even running? And how does this even work? <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's Viewfinder. Sea of Stars is also up for uh, the indie category. I love that game. That probably is in my top, I don't know, top five for game of the year, for my personal game of the year. Um, it's incredible. Uh, Dredge, which I think is a spooky game. Uh, and then Dave the Diver, which I love. Dave the Diver, also a great game. Uh, is it an indie game, though, is what people are wondering. Because Dave the Diver is developed by Mint Rocket, which is a small team. But Mint Rocket is owned by Nexon, which is a multi-billion dollar <laughs> gaming company. <laughs> so people are wondering. This sounds like the evil corporation from a Bond movie it or does. something. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like uh, from RoboCop. Um, so, yeah. Unfortunately, Day of the Diver is getting a lot of heat because of this. Um, and the team at Mint Rocket, Mint Rocket, Mint Romney, uh, <laughs> that's what I feel like I'm going to say. Um, it is a small team, but they're getting all this heat because is it really an indie game? I don't know. What do you think? Because they had effectively a blank check to make this. Well, and that's the thing is that you can have a small team, but when you're getting backed by a large corporation like that and you've got the budget for it right. and you don't have the pressures of being that struggling indie developer trying to find an outlet for it and someone to, to, to push it and market it, I think you very quickly get outside of that indie game realm. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I still highly recommend you go play Dave the Diver. Uh, it's a, you run a sushi bar, you're, you're exploring, you're a diver. I don't know. It's hard to describe. That sounds exciting. It's very exciting. Uh, I would make you pull up the trailer, but that was really hard to do for the other game. So, <laughs> but um <laughs> Uh, yeah, Day of the Diver is great, but I don't think it should be in the indie category. Uh, that being said, you should still go play it. Okay. So, well, I, I think that's probably it for this segment. Yeah, we. Uh, I think we got everything we could out of that. Go play Baldur's Gate 3. Uh, when we come back, we're going to get into uh, the bummer part of the show where we talk about industry layoffs. We'll be right Yay. back. <laughs> For over seven years, the Second Sith Empire has been the premier community guild in the online game Star Wars The Old Republic. With hundreds of friendly and helpful active members, a weekly schedule of nightly events, annual guild meet and greets, and an active community both on the web and on Discord. The Second Sith Empire is more than your typical gaming group. We're family. Join us on the Starforge server for nightly events such as operations, flashpoints, world boss hunts, Star Wars trivia, guild lottery, and much more. Visit us on the web today at www.thesecondsithempire.com.
Welcome back, everyone, to Insights into Entertainment. Today, we're talking gaming. We just got done covering the Game Award nominations, and now we're going to talk about industry layoffs. Of course we're talking gaming, because you're on the show. That's right. I should wear, like, a gamer sweater should or something. Should be Insights into Gaming when yeah. you're on. Yeah, have, like, Mountain Dew in the intro. All right. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, like I said at the top of the show, despite being lauded as one of the best years in gaming, the industry has been hit by massive layoffs at every level. Uh, at the time of writing, it's probably higher now. Uh, around 6,000 people have been laid off. In the gaming industry, uh, there's a very helpful but depressing website uh, called VideoGameLayoffs.com, and it's been tracking the numbers since the beginning of the year. Uh, this it's just one of those stories you hear about every week if you're covering if you're not covering I'm not covering anything I'm not a journalist but um, if you're following gaming news it's one of those things that you can't really ignore especially this year uh, and you know I don't know anything about economics but I feel like it's one of those things where when one company does it. It's there's a real chance of it starting a tidal wave of this where it's like it it doesn't make it okay, but from the company's point of view, it might have like, well, if everyone's doing it, we might as well just do it now to cut costs. Uh, what do you think? Well, and I think what you run into really is when one company does it, there's a viable reason for doing it. And usually it's an economic reason yeah. or, or, you know, it could be <coughs> depending on what the industry, but we we've seen layoffs across the board regardless of industry not just video games and companies that are doing perfectly fine companies that are doing record numbers record profits are are laying people off the unfortunate reality is that record profits in order to get record profits you either have to bring in more income bring in more revenue increase your your margin on what it's costing you to do things. And to do that, you cut costs, you, you cut labor. Yeah. And that's usually the first thing people cut. And when you've got games that are releasing and you don't have another game in the pipeline that requires that level of, of uh, labor commitment, that's the first thing that gets cut when it comes to the software industry. Yeah, uh, and we're going to have a segment coming up where we get into more than nitty-gritty on why these layoffs happen. Uh, but I just wanted to highlight some of the big com uh, you know, big examples of these layoffs, uh, one of which is at Unity, the software uh, developers. Uh, they, had a, they let go around 900 people this year alone. Uh, Unity has been in some very, very hot water lately. I don't know if you've been following any of this. Um, they changed its pricing structure this year. And basically nuked their whole brand for no reason. Uh, not for no reason. They wanted to make more money. But, like, it was crazy. When so explain happened. what Unity is and what their product is. So Unity is an engine, right? Yeah, it's a game engine. <laughs> yeah, that you can develop your game using Unity. So a lot of the popular games that are out today are built on this game engine. Right. And when a game developer uses this engine, they pay a licensing fee to unity to use it so for every copy of the game that's sold a percentage of that revenue goes to unity for their royalties for that and that's what they overhauled right so this is from the verge uh unity on they said that beginning next year they would implement a uh, paper download pricing scheme that would charge developers a flat fee anytime a game using unity software is installed I think the keyword there is installed. Yes. Right? Because, because you can't do demos at that point in time without paying Unity. Right. And that is including installs that may not be legal. <laughs> right. Through, you know, pirating and things like that. Uh, also, multiple installations of a game. Like, if you uninstall it and reinstall it. Well, because what happens is every time you install a game, 
the Unity engine reaches out to the licensing server. So if you do demos of the game, if you do if you have pirated downloads of the mm-hmm. game, if you uninstall it and reinstall it, every time it goes out and hits that licensing server to confirm that it's a valid license, as opposed to what it was before was on sales. So every time you would sell the game, that would then go towards right. the licensing. This is more from The Verge. Uh, the, the fees are further broken down depending on where a game is purchased, meaning that a game bought in the US, UK, and other standard markets is assessed a higher fee uh, than when it's bought in emerging markets like India or China. So, like, I don't know what they were thinking when they did this. Uh, This made a ton of people angry. Uh, Many developers, publishers, and consumers completely disavowed Unity. People wanted to boycott the game or the engine itself. And you got to understand, Unity is like the number one. It's like Unity and Unreal are like the two engines that pretty much everyone uses for any kind of game development. Uh, I mean, Unity has tried to walk some of this stuff back, but I think a lot of the damage might already have been done. Uh, What do you think? Well, and the thing is, the regional pricing that they're talking about is not unusual mm-hmm. for in, in any other industry. Um, so in any other industry, talking manufacturing, for instance, you have tariffs on on purchased goods. So, for instance, I have a, a friend of mine who lives down in Peru. For him to buy a graphics card that costs $2,000 up here, he's got to pay $3,000 for it because of the tariffs. Mm-hmm. So Unity's logic is, well... If there's regional pricing based on tariffs because of purchase goods, then we can do the same thing for licensing. Well, the problem you run into is they're the first ones that are doing this. Yeah. Nobody else does this because there's no tariff on licensing. There's a tariff on imports when you're talking about actual manufactured goods. So there's no impetus whatsoever for the reasoning behind what they're doing. That's why they're taking the heat for it. And as a result, they're losing a, a boatload of business in the process. And that results in 900 people losing their jobs. Exactly. Uh, and, you know, should the CEO maybe have taken a pay cut instead of having to fire all these people? Maybe. That's a very controversial <laughs> philosophy a lot of uh, rank and file workers have. Yeah. Uh, another company that I want to highlight is Embracer Group. Uh, they've been making all kinds of news in the last couple of years. Uh, they've been snatching up a lot of studios like Gearbox, who made Borderlands. Uh, and Crystal Dynamics, who you guys are probably know if you've played the new Laura Croft games. Uh, Embracer Group is sort of this conglomerate that's just been eating up studios. Um, oh, kind of like EA and all the other conglomerates out there. Yeah, uh, except they're not doing it very well. <laughs> uh, they're now cleaning house. According, this is from IGN's Wesley Yin Pool. Embracer Group has said it has laid off 904 people. That's about 5% of its workforce. Uh, it's since its financial struggles beginning following the collapse of the $2 billion deal, uh, reportedly with the Saudi government funded, uh, company savvy games groups. When this deal didn't go through, this was like insane because <laughs> it like fell apart like the day before it was going to happen. And it, like the industry was like, what's going to happen now? <laughs> right. Um, turns out a bunch of people are going to get laid off. Uh, in a recent statement, Embracer said they wanted to become a quote, stronger company, I guess um, another studio, they, they're closing whole studios too that they own now. So Volition, who developed the Saints Row games, uh, they got another stab at Saints Row and it failed critically and commercially. They shut the studio down. Um, so yeah, Embracer is kind of just cutting swaths from their company now. Uh, and a lot of it has to do with that $2 billion deal that fell through. I don't, and this is this is typical, you know, corporate mentality is that they're interested in the bottom line. Right. 
Uh, and anytime you have a, a publicly traded company that has a board of directors and it has, you know, stock owners, your finance, your fiduciary duty is to the stockholders. And you trust the people that are making these decisions who aren't always in they're they're business people, but they're not necessarily software or game industry people. And that's sort of where you get that that dirty corporate feeling that, that people tend to get here is that they're just looking at the bottom line and they're going to cut their losses. They, yep. They're going to cut what they think are losses in order to make money. And and it's not just software. Bob Iger's doing the same thing at Disney and killing Disney. You've got people, industries across the board that are doing this type of stuff. They see something that's not raking in money. They have a certain margin that they want to meet. And if you if you're not meeting that margin, then you're a casualty. Ignoring the fact that a lot of times the game industry doesn't work the same way these other other manufacturing or entertainment industries work, the return on investment tends to be a much longer timeline that the corporate world and the stock world does not want to wait for. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, speaking of giant corporate companies. Uh, Amazon Games also had some layoffs. Uh, they recently cut 180 jobs from their games department. This comes during the largest sweep of layoffs at Amazon as a whole. We were talking about you know industry-wide stuff, with nearly 27,000 jobs being cut in the last year. Now, we're talking about 6,000 layoffs in the gaming industry alone, 27,000 just from Amazon, just to put things in perspective. Um, but that's across the board in Amazon. That's right. sales, manufacturing, warehousing, everything. And a lot of that for Amazon is not because they're losing money because they're not. No, we actually have record profits. <laughs> right. A lot of that has to do with improvements in how their processes work. A lot of automation going in place. They've, they've robot, roboticized a number of their plants. So they've negated the need to have physical labor here. And you'll notice only 180 of those 27,000 jobs were in the game industry. Yeah. I don't know how many people they had in their game studios to begin with, though. Right. Uh, yeah. So Amazon's revenue is up 13 percent. Uh, probably helped cutting 27,000 people that you don't have to pay anymore. <laughs> Looks good to the bottom line. <laughs> yeah. Uh, net income tripled to 9.9 .9 billion. Uh, that's from CNBC's Ashley Caput. That's a funny name. Sorry, Ashley. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so profits are up. And like you said, you know, when the bottom line comes up there, it's capitalism, baby. You know, that's the way the news goes. Um, so, so despite the game industry experiencing one of its best years, over 6,000 people face layoffs. How do you think these job losses at various levels are impacting the industry's morale and future prospects, especially in light of such a successful game release year? Uh, I mean, I follow a lot of people that are in game development on Twitter and stuff. And like, I listen to a lot of gaming podcasts of people that are very close to people in the industry. Uh, it sucks. <laughs> Turns out layoffs suck. Uh, I think it's really, really bad for morale. Uh, because, you know, I think a lot of people really, they grind and grind and grind and try to get into the industry only for them to have a very high rate of getting laid off anyway. Uh, especially when, like we talked about before, when a game ships, what happens now? Um, and yeah, I, I, you know, it's a great year for gaming, but it's, it's tough to ignore, all these layoffs. And if you were going into this industry, you're going to have to wonder, you know, am I going to be the next one to get laid off if I even can get a job in the first place? Yeah, it's it's when you see this type of thing happen across the board, it's tough when it's your own company and they're doing layoffs. 
my company did layoffs this year too, and so did mine. And it and it has an effect on on morale, and it has an effect on the output. And I think a lot of time the corporate entities that make these decisions never really go out and do a proper impact analysis to see what level of productivity is going to be affected yep. by people with decreased morale because the idea is oh well if they don't perform we'll just lay them off well when people walk out the door it's not a salary and benefits it's walking out the door that you can save money on there's brain drained you know there's tribal knowledge that walks out that door that as a result the people that are remaining because the job still has to get done and the people that are left to do that job are struggling now to do that job. So either it takes longer, the quality drops off, the volume drops off. And I think when corporate entities make these decisions, they don't always take that impact analysis into account. Yeah. And speaking of quality, you just trigger something in my mind. This is a very small facet of this whole thing, but a lot of one of the, um, sections that gets laid off a lot is quality uh, testers. So that reflects in your game when your game doesn't work because you fired everybody that was going to yep. test it. <laughs> um, so I know EA fired a bunch of them lately. I think it's, you know, it's, but again, it's one of those things where when your game's no longer in development, you have no need for these quality testers. But with games like Apex Legends, games that are live as, as a service that are continuously going in development, where do quality testers fall in that? Well, and that's the thing. Having worked in the software industry for years, your ratio of testers to developers is usually two to one mm. and testing is always seen as the first area that gets cut. Yep. But what they don't realize is that you can't trust a developer to test their own code. They're too close to it. Mm. So you take a look at Larian studios, right? So Larian studios did their official release in October of Boulder's gate three. They've had 10 patches and three or 10, 10 bug fix patches they put out, emergency bug fixes, and three or four major patch releases in that time. So the development doesn't stop when it goes out the door because it's never a finished product. You've got a lifetime of probably four or five years that you still have to support the product. So getting rid of the people once they're at, once the game's out the door is probably short-sighted. And within those four or five years, you're probably going to start development on your next game, especially with something like Baldur's Gate 3 that was insanely successful. And by the time Baldur's Gate 3 comes out, by the time your premier game comes out, you've already got a pipeline that's full of schedules for what's next in line. And if you don't, then you might as well just shut your doors because it, given the time frame it takes, where you're looking at four or five years of development to put a decent game out. So if you don't already have something in the pipeline and something in the works when your current game comes out, you're you're going to go out of business. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's tough, right? I mean, it, you get this a lot with movies too. You know, these things take so long to make and then it's out and then people immediately want more. Right. <laughs> and I mean, that's just how it goes. Uh, but hopefully that keeps some people employed too. Uh, so yeah, uh, that's, uh, those are our layoffs, our layoff discussion. Uh, in our next segment, we're going to talk more about the causes of it. Uh, I know you did a lot of research for this, so I'll probably let you take over for it. Uh, but yeah, layoffs are bad. Uh, <laughs> layoffs are bad and it sucks. <laughs> layoffs you are get... bad. Don't do layoffs. <laughs> layoffs suck if it happens to you. Uh, but we'll be right back. Insights into Teens, a podcast series exploring the issues and challenges of today's youth. 
talking to real teens about real teen problems. Explore issues from braces to puberty, social anxiety to financial responsibility. Each week, we talk about the topics concerning today's youth. We look at how the issues affect teens, how to cope with these issues, and how parents, friends, and loved ones can help teens handle these challenges. Check out our video episodes on youtube.com backslash insights into things. Catch our audio versions on podcast.insightsintoteens.com or on the web at insightsintothings.com. Welcome back to Insights into Entertainment, everybody. We're wrapping up the show today talking about the cause and the uh, the purpose of all these layoffs. Uh, so the trend of layoffs in the video game industry can be attributed to several factors, and understanding this is key to forecasting the trends during and its impact on the industry's future. And we go to our corporate shill, uh, <laughs> Joseph Whalen, for the layoff report. Wow. Why layoffs are a good thing. Go. No, not why they're a good thing. <laughs> what causes layoffs? <laughs> So we already kind of touched on economic fluctuations. So the video game industry is not immune to the broader economic trends in the world. And economic downturns or market uncertainty can lead to budget cuts and staff reductions. And everyone knows where we are with inflation and how tight money is and, and everything's costing more money. So that's that's pretty obvious right there. Um, we're also looking right now, <clears throat> and it's you know first time in the industry's history, that we're in a post-pandemic period. So we're still looking at adjustments from that. COVID-19 pandemic led to a surge in gaming as people sought entertainment during the lockdowns. This surge may have led to overhiring or overexpansion in some companies. Uh, as the world returns to normalcy, demand may stabilize or decrease, leading to restructuring. There's also, you know, people now are like, there's the discussion of work from home. Well, why wouldn't I just always work from home if I can? Especially when it comes to game development. A lot of these folks packed up their work computers and brought them home to keep working on games during the pandemic as best they could. So now, you know, there's a discussion of do we even need to be going back into, you know, in the work? And that's across all industries. If we can, you know, can we just keep the work at home thing going? And then, you know, that's more cost cutting because then you don't have to rent office space. <laughs> Absolutely. And a lot of companies are are looking at that as a possibility. In fact, behind you is a permanent workstation that's been set up for my wife, Michelle, now, uh, who works from home two days a week as a result of that. Yep. And they saw what they can get out of it. Um, so the other thing you look at is shifts in consumer behavior. Changes in gaming trends and consumer preferences can impact revenue streams. Companies may need to restructure to align with these shifts, leading to layoffs in departments that no longer align with new strategies. Um, we also have technological cha uh, changes. Advancement in technology can render certain skills or positions obsolete. As companies invest in automation and new tech, there may be a reduced need for certain roles. And then we get to the corporate shill side of things <laughs> with financial management and strategic shifts. Ugh. So <laughs> poor financial management or strategic pivots can necessitate cost-cutting measures, including layoffs, which is exactly what Unity ran into. Mm -hmm. You know, they're trying to make a buck, so they made a change in their strategic, you know, product line there and it came back to to bite them it's a very nice way of saying we want to make as much money as possible 
all the time. Absolutely. <laughs> so tell us about what the actual impact of all this is on the video game industry. Yeah. So, I mean, there's innovation and competition. Layoffs can lead to a consolidation of talent with larger companies absorbing uh, experienced personnel. You got a little bit of that with Embracer. You know, now that they're all part of this conglomerate, maybe they're having some cross-studio development. Uh, this could foster innovation, but might also reduce competition if smaller companies struggle to compete, um, which is definitely true, especially when it comes to indie development, uh, which is what we have next. Uh, as talented individuals leave larger companies, there might be, excuse me, a surge in indie game development, which I think we talked about this before when we were talking about the Microsoft Blizzard thing, where yes. it's like as as more studios are bought up and part of large corporate structures. Something has to fill that vacuum and the indie companies step in to do that. Exactly. Uh, there's, you know, this can lead to more diverse and innovative gaming landscape, which I'm all for, uh, assuming, you know, it's, you know, I'm all for the creative side of things, <laughs> as you can probably tell by this, um, you know, it, it's, it's tough to see, um, but you know, maybe that is a silver lining. Well, and the one advantage you get from the indie side of things is you don't get the corporate shield. You don't get, you get idealism. You get companies yep. that come in here with this idealistic view of, I'm going <laughs> to make this for the fans. I'm going to listen to the fans and I'm going to produce something for the fans. If it doesn't sell, then the corporate guys come in, they suck up the company and then they move on. A lot of times, you know, for, for the longest time, Bioware was of that philosophy of you had a couple of, of, of regular guys there that wanted to make good games for people. And they did until they sold their souls to EA and moved on. <laughs> we would all do it. Let's be honest. I would too. Hell, if I could get, you know, a couple million dollars for this podcast, I'd sell it in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah, next episode we're going to have McDonald's branding all around the place. <laughs> uh, yeah, I highly recommend you play Sea of Stars because it is a very similar situation. I'm blanking on the name of the developers, but it's it's like that where they just, they made another game called The Messenger, uh, but they all seem like very down-to-earth people. Uh, we have shifts in job roles. The industry may witness a shift in the types of roles that are in demand with more emphasis on technologies like AI, VR, and cloud gaming. I don't know about VR. Can we? Are we done with VR? I think VR is pretty much uh, – although Apple wants to bring VR back. I think they're missing the boat. They're going to make that. people spend like $10,000 for a headset. So you can get freaky eyes on the outside <laughs> of your headset. Yeah. Uh, this uh, We talked about this already a little bit, but the impact on gaming quality and diversity. Uh, layoffs can lead to reduced manpower, impacting quality. Uh, however, they can also force companies to focus on core competencies and produce higher quality titles, which is kind of what Sony's doing. Um, you know, they're they're spending and taking the time to have all these first party games that are, you know, industry wide successes uh, commercially and critically that sort of hold up the brand just by virtue of existing. Um, and finally, uh, employee well-being an industry reputation, which the gaming industry already has a pretty bad reputation in terms of like crunch culture, which is probably still happening. Uh, but I think it has been reduced because it was exposed a lot with how often a lot of these devs are crunching. And you hear stories from like 2005 of people pulling like 30 hour days. <laughs> and it's like, oh my God, how do we let that happen? Um, but hopefully that's a little bit better well, now. And I've, and I've been on build teams, not for the gaming industry, but in the software industry where We've put in 36, 48 hours straight to get a, a, a build out the door for, you know, an artificial deadline that was set by a product manager because <laughs> he made a promise to a customer. So it, it happens across the board. Yeah. Uh, this might affect the ability to attract top talent in the future, uh, which is true. That if your industry has a terrible reputation and fires people all the time, people probably don't want to work for you. <laughs> Amen to that. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, those are. That pretty much sums everything up. Uh, that covers the layoffs. Uh, of course, we started off pretty positively. 
uh, with the Game Awards. So. <laughs> so considering the influence of economic fluctuations on the video game industry, how do you think companies can better prepare for market uncertainties to avoid drastic measures like layoffs, especially given the industry's recent success? I don't know. I Maybe pay higher ups less, which is never going to happen, but it's a suggestion. I know years, everybody turns to, um, what was his name? He was a Nintendo CEO, Iwata maybe. Iwata, I forget his name, but he, Nintendo, when the Wii U came out and like completely failed, he ended up taking a pay cut so they didn't have to lay people off. Now, everybody looks to that like it was a miracle because it kind of was. Right. Uh, and people don't, you know, CEOs are never going to do that. But that would be nice uh, if that was the alternative to laying people off. But, you know, it's, it's just not it's not the way that capitalism goes, unfortunately. See, and I think it has to be research and development. I think if you've got enough irons in the fire, if you throw enough stuff against the wall, something's going to stick. And if you've got a couple of games that are in there, you you can tell after two or three years of development, if your your game's going to be a success. Because at that point in time, you've trotted out previews at a couple of game shows. You've had some industry experts take a look at it. You've got some, some play time with it. And people need to be more uh, antiseptic, I'll say, in, in their judgment of their products. If you get to that point, and the product isn't very good, you need to cut your ties to it and move on. Yeah, it's funny you mention that because you should look into the development cycle of Redfall. Uh, we covered that last time I hosted for a gaming show. But since that game's come out and like is awful, um, devs have come out and said that like they knew this game was going to fail, but they had to release it anyway because mm-hmm. you had to put something out. And it was like sunk cost fallacy where we spent all this time. We probably should cancel this game and rework it, but higher-ups need us to release something, so here's what you get. Well, and going back to one of my old favorites, Star Wars The Old Republic, same thing. They spent almost 10 years of development on that, six of which was trying to build their own game engine before they realized they couldn't, and they wound up using a 10-year-old game engine to basically reskin the entire game for it. And then they released it, and within the first six months, they lost 50% of their subscribers because the game just wasn't up to what it was supposed to be. At some point in time, you need to have the sense to pull the plug on it. Yeah. And if you can do that and you have other other projects that are in the works that are under development, you shift your resources to something that's more promising. Yeah, and hopefully we'll, you know, with all these layoffs, and maybe somebody will learn something from it, hopefully. Yep. Uh, but yeah, uh, so uh, any final thoughts? I feel like we've we've covered a lot of this. We've shared our opinions. We've beaten the the horse quite well here. Uh, well, I guess that's going to wrap things up for today. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, before we head out, we've got some sh- more show plugs for you. Uh, if you haven't, but the already, first set wasn't enough. I know the, the plug's so nice. We do them twice. If you haven't already subscribed, what are you doing? Pause this. <laughs> go subscribe. Come back. Rewind it. Play from the beginning. Uh, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, maybe Stitcher if it's still around, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Amazon, and of course. Pandora. If you have any comments or questions about today's show, email us at comments at insightsintothings.com. We're on Twitter. Some people call it X. Insights underscore things. Twitch. If you have Amazon Prime, that means you've got Twitch Prime, and we'd love to have that Prime sub over at twitch.tv slash insightsintothings, where some of you may be watching us live stream right now. Facebook at facebook.com slash insightsintothingspodcast. Instagram at insightsintothings. And all of these links and so much more can be found on insightsintothings.com. That's going to wrap things up for today. 
That's it. Another one in the books. Stay safe, everybody.